there's three types of personality that somebody has they have their public persona that they show everybody including strangers right. you have their personal persona who they share with their very close circle and then you have their secret life which is really what we keep to ourselves most of the time and maybe share it with like one or two people and normally it's not even the whole persona it's just small fragments of that persona hello and welcome to be the wolf i am your host Janea barnes Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, everybody. I'm practicing saying hello once at the beginning of this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> it feels awkward and weird, but we're doing something different because it's always good to switch it up. So hello, everybody. Shoot, now I just did it twice. <laughs> Welcome to Be the Wolf. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean about you? And we're going to talk, dive into some beliefs and some of those things that our mind does when we make things about us. And I am here with Alan Miles, and he's got quite a big story, and his mind made up some stories that about himself, and he's got some history around that. But he is a business owner, a husband, and a father. And I'm going to give the mic to you and let you tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do. Thank you. Well, th thanks for having me, first of all. It's good to be here all the way from across the pond in the, in the UK. So I am absolutely a, a husband and father first. I have five children. I'm married to my wife, Becky, and I'm a business owner second. And I think that became a very conscious decision for me towards the, I'd say in the last four or five years, I was always very career focused and very business focused. And I work with businesses now and really help them when it comes to being able to get more attention, being able to then take that attention, turn it into leads and sales, and then understanding how to get repeat business through referrals and re-signs. And that's the real focus for me at this point in business. My background is sales. I've worked in B2B sales for over 20 years and very much been on the forefront of building businesses that I've worked in before and it being the main dominant factor in life. And hopefully, as we'll discover through the conversation today, my story kind of took me in a few different directions, which is, has led me to, to where I'm at at this point. Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting how we all have our unique experiences and they help to unfold what it is that we do in life. This is something I see over and over. And I think the people that end up in careers that they love, there is something about their story that led them 
to where they are today. So let's dig in your story, or there's a pattern of losing people that started when you were really young. Why don't yeah. you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, when I'm, just before I was five, I lost my dad in a road traffic accident. So to kind of paint the picture, it was one of those situations where we actually had a family business. We, we ran a, a guest house. So my mom and my dad ran that uh, along with my dad also working as a postman. And he was called in to do some extra work on a night shift. So he said good night to me that, that night. And I woke up the next day and it will always stay with me. I, I remember waking up and my sister was stood at the door and my mum was knelt down in front of me. And I stood, I grew up in quite a rural area and there was a lot of sheep. So everyone had sheepskin rugs and, and oh. that type of thing. So I stood on, on, on my sheepskin rug, which had um, one of the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles on, on it. I think it was Michelangelo. And I was stood on it and my mum was knelt in front of me and held my hands and was like, daddy's gone to heaven. And for me, that was the the first moment where I experienced loss, which is a, a young age. And yeah. I didn't talk for the rest of that day. Like from the moment I basically woke up, I just, just didn't say anything. And from all accounts, kind of speaking to people afterwards as I've grown up, it seemed like I wasn't really phased, but I obviously just became silent. I just didn't say anything. And I played with my toys and kind of in my mind, I kind of had come to this place where I was in denial quite quickly and I stayed in that place for a very long time I was adamant he was coming back and even had an experience when I was about 10 so we're talking like five years later where I saw a man playing with his kid who looked very similar to my dad and I was like oh my god it's my dad like he's over there well he's going to come and see me in a minute then obviously he must be undercover or something I like I don't understand why but he it's him definitely him and then he walked off with that kid. And that, I think, was the start of it for me, where I started to understand he isn't coming back and that he is actually gone. And, like, that took... I find that when young children, like especially myself, like when I you lose somebody young, like you go through it in different waves. Yeah. So there's that initial very linear question of where did my dad go? and you seek some help and support to understand that but then as you turn into a teenager there's already enough questions about your life and the world and who you are as a teenager but then the anger starts to show up of why did my dad have to be taken like what was the background i need to know more and i'm very much a data person so i needed to essentially understand his whole life and understand why it happened and ultimately sometimes there is no reason why bad things happen to good people they just do because that's life yeah. and like it's really about for me that was the start of a long line of of losses essentially that shaped me into who i am so it's a very it's, it's an interesting thing isn't it like loss because you'd do anything to have the person back but i wouldn't change my life for everything I've been through, like it makes you who you are essentially. Yeah. I had um, my first big traumatic experience was with loss at four years old. I held the hand while this person slipped away and my mind blocked it out. So for you, that denial, especially when we're so young, we do not have big emotional resources and mental resources to really understand what has happened. And 
it's like our mind helps protect us and only gives us enough really understanding that we can process. And then I think that experience when you saw the dad, like it was this metaphor of the dad walking away was is very powerful to actually show you that understanding like, oh, wait, this is this is the thing that's happening. It's yeah. so interesting how those things line up with the mind and help us to understand or give us more information that we can begin the next pro step of processing. And then of course yeah. the anger. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Teenage years and anger. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so it was, it was the first big mm -hmm. one. And then tell me about the second one. Yeah. So the second one was my mom and that one, in honesty, probably hit me the hardest out of all of the losses. And to give a bit of context, obviously growing up, having lost my dad at a young age, my mum became pretty much everything to me from a parental perspective. And I had a few step parents come in and there were some relationships that didn't work. So male figures would come and go in my life. So it was a case of my mum was both my mum and my dad. And I was very much wrapped in cotton wool especially looking back at it i was the last child that she had obviously last child syndrome anyway but there was then that extra special protection of kind of your your dad's son and you're all i have left of him so i was very much wrapped in cotton wool and kept very close but the apron strings definitely weren't cut for a long time until i, I left home i left home quite young because of that i left home at 18 and moved to a completely different part of the country. Yeah. My mom, uh, and I kept step, obviously stayed in very close contact with my mum. It'd be a daily conversation, speaking to her, making sure she's okay. Any good news, she'd be the first person I'd share it with. I have a and, quick question. Yeah. The, that place of the apron strings being held tight and still, even after you left home, still talking to her a lot, making sure she's okay. What are the stories that you formulated about you? during that time like what did you make it mean about her overprotectiveness yeah so i i saw her kind of her overprotectiveness as just simply her trying to make sure nothing bad happened to me i saw our relationship and obviously i was the one who always had to mop up the tears when another man broke her heart and walked out and left mm -hmm. her or whatever and as a, a young child growing up like seven eight nine ten and then i have a step like father now and he got the, the brunt of my teenage years unfortunately and the angst of everyone who ever hurt my mum. but me and him are on very good terms now but it was a case of up until that point i saw myself as the protector in the house so as a seven-year-old boy you see your mum's heart get broken so you try to protect her like you try and take care of her so i saw myself in that role and there would be those evenings and anyone who maybe grew up in a, a single parent household could maybe relate to this type of story of my mum would be like well i kind of want to buy a chocolate would you mind running down to the corner shop to get me one and like there was i was young i mean we're in the 90s so it was a different world to a degree right but it was a case of i'm afraid of the dark like i don't want to go out in the dark but it's like there's this expectation now on me of I don't want to disappoint my mum because she really wants a bar of chocolate and 
I know that a good husband would take care of, of his wife, so he would make sure she has what she needs. It's that kind of linear thought process as a young child of making sure that the the per, the woman in the house is, is like feeling loved and taken care of, because that's in my mind, I was like, okay, like I need to make sure I take care of her and protect her. So I would run out into the, the, the night and I would, my heart would be beating at about a million beats per second as I would sprint to the shop to get to some, like at some artificial light. So you knew you weren't gonna get captured by somebody right. to then run all the way home to make sure she had what she needed in that moment. And it was, for me, like those moments that I suppose really built our relationship. And even when I kind of moved out, I think that's where kind of that daily communication still existed in that me and her had built a very unbreakable bond. And I think for me, I had two children at that point. So to me, she had lots of reasons to live. And unfortunately, she decided that she wanted to commit suicide. And the year leading up, to her suicide, she had already tried and failed. And we had been through quite a traumatic experience, like her as, as well, her health was deteriorating. And you can logically understand maybe why she got to the decision that she did. But for me, it was always thinking of the last conversation I had with her, which was literally just a few hours before she killed herself. And it was late that afternoon and she, she basically snuck out from her home in the very early hours of the morning when my stepdad was asleep she took the car drove down to the local dock which was a symbolic place it was where she had her first date with my dad mm. and she couldn't swim and she jumped in and thankfully she banged her head on the way in so she was unconscious pretty quickly but it was the last conversation i had to her she was very distant and I said, like, normal conversation, like, hey, mom, how, how's it going? She's like, fine. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, nothing. I was like, okay, been up to anything? She's like, no, just thinking. I was like, what have you been thinking about? And you know when you're really milking a conversation, trying right. to get something from somebody? She was like, just stuff and things. I was like, any particular stuff and things? She's like, nope. I was like, okay. And at that moment, I felt like something is off. Like, this isn't, this isn't right. And I said, okay, well, I'll leave you to think about your stuff and things. Like, if you want to talk, you know where I am. And she went, love you lots, Alan. And then, like, that was our last conversation. I remember coming off the phone and being like, it was a really weird conversation. And then the next morning, I woke up to a phone call to say that she was missing. And then, obviously, a few hours later, we discovered what had, what had happened. And it's, I think... That for me was one of the first moments when you start to realize that people have three types of life. And I read this somewhere, I think it was from a CIA agent was talking about when you're interviewing somebody, there's three types of personality that somebody has. They have their public persona that they show everybody, including strangers. Right. You have their personal persona who they share with their very close circle. And then you have their secret life which is really what we keep to ourselves most of the time and maybe share it with like one or two people. And normally it's not even the whole persona. It's just small fragments of that persona. And I thought I knew my mum inside and out. Obviously she she's a grown woman who had her own story and her own life. And it was one of those moments where I think that she was, she'd clearly planned this meticulously for it to go like flawlessly in her for, for how she wanted it to go and I think that for me was the first moment that I learned that 
you never truly know what someone is thinking and you have to make sure that you kind of leave it all out there and if you have something to say make sure you say it because the worst feeling i think that you can ever have is regret because if you lose somebody you love there's no going back you can't travel back in time so for me it's really about having the courage to always be authentically who you are and if you want to tell somebody you care then don't leave it till next time if you have something that needs to be said like never going to sleep on an argument is a really important thing for me and my wife to make sure that like we always end the night in a positive place because i'm sure we will both wake up tomorrow but there is no given right well in you know it's when we talk about this the the like secret internal life and what most people don't realize is this is where we hold our shame right there's this place we we don't want to share these things because we're afraid of what people will think we're afraid of what people will do we're afraid of what people will say and this is where we make up these stories about ourselves it's like you had that story internally you were probably not telling everybody i felt like i had to be the protector but you had that internal story that you had to feel like you were the protector and so if you did things that were in alignment with that persona or not made you either feel good about yourself or not so good and uh, i'm guessing that that story that internal story played a big role in how you felt after all of this happened with your mom but you discovered some things about her internal story yeah yeah absolutely so after she had passed away i discovered that she had actually had an affair when she was with my dad and they were in kind of from the evidence i could find and the stories that i i I'd heard afterwards that i'd been kind of removed from and my mum had put barriers in the way to stop me from ever finding out because my dad had been put onto such a pedestal that for me to find i think she was afraid that for me to find out what had happened and the actual truth of the matter that they had a normal relationship they didn't have a disney relationship and the reality is everyone did things that they probably regretted inside of that relationship but they were trying to work through it and when he died they were kind of very much at the beginning of trying to work through it and the person who my mum married quite quickly after uh, my dad died was actually the person who she had had the affair with and that relationship was an absolute car crash it was horrific and it not only was it too soon but it was obviously a relationship born out of guilt and it was something that I suppose in a roundabout way trying to cobble together the shreds of what's left of okay I have to try and make something of this and you, I can certainly empathize with her but again this is what taught me one of the other lessons that's really important to me that honesty and transparency has to be the number one thing however hard it is to be honest if you're not I saw this lie in particular eat her alive and the very first time she tried to commit suicide she was actually sectioned and for anyone who has not been into or seen 
the mental health services that exist. And I think the UK have quite good facilities. It's, it's not as though we're in like uh, some strange part of the world. We're in a, a <laughs> You said that, not me. <laughs> so it was a case of one of the treatments they provided her was electroshock therapy. And I, I heard this and I was like, you're going to do what? And they literally electrocuted her in an effort to restart and kind of like flatline her brain so that she would kind of reverse and go backwards from a mental perspective and go back to where she was. And amazingly, it actually worked for a while. But before that happened, I sat down with her when I heard that she had tried to take an overdose. I sat down with her and I said, like, what's going on? And, I, and she said, I've done something terrible. So what have you done? And I sat in this room with her for over two hours. And she said the same thing to me over and over again. I've done something terrible. You'll never forgive me. And I would get her to the point of being like, so what is it? Like, whatever it is, we will get through it. And that protector in me came out again of I have to help her fix this, whatever it's it, whatever it is. And my brain's going like, has she like robbed a bank? Has she like killed somebody? Like what's happened? And she would just go internal at that moment and have the rest of the conversation in her head. And it was obviously, well, from all you can presume, essentially, from the everything I read afterwards, was because of the fact that she had cheated on my dad. And obviously, I wouldn't forget, she felt I wouldn't forgive her for doing that. I would have forgiven her in a heartbeat. But you can understand why she ended up in that headspace, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when we talk about that internal persona and all of that self-talk and all those stories. So, you know, that deterioration of somebody's mental health has so much to do with them feeling bad about themselves or something they've done. And, you know, it, we are hardwired to need connection and love and so when we think, when we start to make up stories about ourselves, like if somebody's not paying enough attention to us, or if we screw up, we decide that we're not good enough, that we're unforgivable, that we are that early story of my loss where I held the hand while he lost his life or while he slipped away, I, I believed that that was my fault. I believed that the thing that I tried to do to stop it and failed, so was the reason why he lost his life. And so I created this persona of this internal persona that I was a murderer in my mind. And so I can definitely see how that story of doing something unforgivable can really eat away and then you've got the story that you've got to be a protector. And then there's the other story of dad is infallible and mm -hmm. perfect, which I'm sure probably led to unconscious, unrealistic expectations about the kind of man you needed to be. Yeah. And so all of these things, all of our experiences, we typically have this tendency to make up stories about what it means about us and what kind of person we are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's all of it plays into that narrative that is your own story, isn't it? And for me, I kind of spent a large part of my later teen years and early 20s, especially when I became a dad, thinking that I basically had to walk around apologizing for the male human race and mm -hmm. be that that 
man that like women apparently wanted and I, I struggled with my weight especially growing up um, I was my mum was I suppose a bit of a feeder and I was an emotional eater so in my early 20s as I became or approaching mid-20s as I became a dad I went on a big weight loss journey lost about 110 pounds in weight and have kept it off since which was one of I suppose one of the first big accomplishments that I had but leading up to that point I had this narrative that because I was the fat kid I suppose if you want to put it bluntly like that and I would generally get rejected by girls because I wasn't the typical six foot with abs and most teenage girls that's initially what they look for especially in the UK but it became this thing that my 40s will be my moment to shine when people want somebody dependable because of what I had witnessed. And I was like, I, even at that young age, I was diagnosing my mum's relationships. And I was like, all this guy needed to do was just show up, care and be consistent and everything would have been fine. And they weren't and they didn't. So in my head, I was like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. And even if I have to go through 10 or 15 or 20 years of pain in my adult life of being rejected constantly, I'll get to my 40s and I will be a hot commodity. <laughs> <laughs> As it is, I, like I, I, my dating life was fine and I've been happily married for, for years. But it's, it's that thing of the stories that you tell yourself, they become your identity. And even now, like I put the world on my back and it's my responsibility to solve everything until... I then sit down and go, okay, I have a toolbox of things here. I've learned that it doesn't have to just be my responsibility. My wife like, will happily shoulder some of the burden and, and work through things with me. Like, I don't have to fix the world's problems. And it's, but that becomes like an ingrained pattern of behavior. And I think that for me, something I'm always really passionate about helping people to understand, especially with their businesses, is that you are not your business like you are a separate entity from your business and don't bring your emotional baggage into building a business because essentially all you're going to do is give yourself a lot more headaches and a whole load of debt like you need to be able to keep those two things very separate and actually spend time working on yourself to get to that place because i think a lot of success or short-term success can be born out of pain and you can use that energy very positively to create some success but it's a it's a bit like a um, a wolf in sheep's clothing to me like that whole like work hard play hard philosophy i think it has merit to a degree except for i see that people myself included and this is kind of learned from retrospection of working yourself to this point of I will prove myself that I am the best at something and you just work so hard that you achieve great success but then you burn out right. and then you go through this continual cycle of recovering just enough from the burnout to work really hard again to then burn out and you sit there and you're like but I'm doing something good like I'm providing for my family and I'm building a like a legacy and I'm doing all these things but actually it's a case of you're not dealing with your trauma you're not dealing with your past and and for many people I think that's what drives that initial success instead of actually having a a purpose that pulls you you are using something that's pushing you and the whole time you're being pushed there's only so far you can be pushed before you fall over again 
No, absolutely. And I mean, you said it in the beginning, you know, you put husband and father before business owner. And I know, you know, my own struggles of building business. And right now I'm struggling with my marketing funnel. And it's that piece that, you know, you have to catch yourself with those stories. Like you can't slide into the, what does this mean about me? It doesn't mean anything. It just means that my headline is not working, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. And if I slide into that place of, oh my God, the marketing's not working. That means I'm worthless and I'm like not good enough. And all of these stories that most people are running through their head in that secret persona all of the time, I'm not going to be able to move forward. I'm not going to be able to look at something objectively and say, okay, this is not working. So we try something different or I'm so attached and I want this to work that I'm going to keep like spending money on the ads and everything to see if it's going to work. So, you know, when you're talking about business, when you're talking about career, when your career, your job is part of your identity and it's where you get your value and your worth, like, right, that value of being the protector versus you are a man who is protective sometimes, but it's not who you are. Your wife can shoulder some of that responsibility. There's other forces at play that, you know, that your children can be their own protectors as well. Okay. But it's all, it's, you know, we when we make up these stories, about what these things mean about us, it really limits us in our personal life, our professional life, and especially, especially if you own a business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that for me, kind of making that decision to start to prioritize family and like my wife above business came from my previous business. And I was, to give some context, I was actually fundamentally against marriage as was my wife, in all honesty, like I had obviously seen enough failed marriages to be like, well, the whole point of marriage is pointless, like what's just a waste of money. And I'd gone through relationship after relationship, but in an effort to still fulfill that that role of being at the Disney, like like knighting shining armor, I would be engaged. I would get a, my partner of the time to the point of being engaged because I saw that as enough commitment to then just push the wedding off indefinitely <laughs> to then be like, so it was that middle ground of still trying to people please, still trying to like make sure that the relationship was as perfect as it, as it probably should be in my mind, which is ridiculous in hindsight looking back. But then when I'd, I'd known my wife for a while as a friend, it wasn't until we came together and she was genuinely the first person who ever wanted to be with me for who I am, not what I could provide. And that was the was the the moment that things just started to change. Like it, For me, it was the moment when I actually started to understand who I was as a person and understand that I didn't always have to show up as a perfect 10. I didn't have to always be Prince Charming. I didn't always have to be like uh, Gordon Gecko in the business sense. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden I could just be Alan and I could be Alan with flaws. And that was okay. And that starts to build who you are. And I think that 
the moment I was able to start to live authentically was the moment. And the moment you know you have somebody in your corner is the moment that lots of different things start to fall in place. So we had built a very successful recruitment company. I'd spent most of my career in that industry. And we had an agency that was doing about $1.5 million a year. So it was a successful business. I hated the industry, but I had remained in it because I felt I couldn't do anything else that would earn the type of money I could earn by doing it. And I had that responsibility, that narrative again, of providing for my family. And I sat down with Becky, my wife, and I said, I really hate what I'm doing. Like I'm having panic attacks at my desk every single day. Like I despise the industry. I hate everything about it. Sorry to anyone from the recruitment industry, if you're watching. <laughs> I've come to peace with the industry now, but it was a case of I was done. And she said to me words to the effect of, I don't care if we end up like homeless, I'll still be here. And I was like, we're not gonna end up homeless. Like I won't allow that to happen, but it allowed me to transition into a different vehicle. So one of my little rocky moments was I had a business partner and they were the finance partner to that business. So we have a successful business that I should have come away with potentially a decent amount of money to be able to put in the bank from the years of work I put in. And essentially I walked away with 49 pounds and they sat down yeah, they sat down and said, so I was a 49% shareholder. They were the 51% shareholder. And they had first rights, as according to our contract, to rebuy my shares. And they basically said, okay, well, we'll give you your 49 pounds. And I think it, part of it was in an expectation that I would say, oh, don't worry, I'll just carry on. And I took the 49 pounds. So I was like, I walked away from something that financially would have set me up for the rest of my life. But I knew having also lost my brother who essentially worked himself to death. I, I knew that I had to leave. Uh, so I took that 49 pounds and I used it as the motivation to make sure everything else I did from that point was going to be successful, but successful in a way that allowed me to still prioritize the things that were important to me. And this business that I run now, it's taken a few different, um, like disguises of kind of what exactly what we do and how we deliver it. And especially through COVID, obviously everything went remote at that point. We grew very quickly and we grew to a point that I was working far too much. And that was the first moment that I'd seen some real growth in myself that instead of people pleasing and instead of trying to just grind it out for another 15 years, I literally blew it apart and just burn it to the ground and started again and said, this isn't what I'm trying to build. This is the wrong thing. This is not in alignment with my values now. Start again. And that's painful. Like as a yeah. salesperson turning away money, as a business owner turning away money and essentially refunding people and being like, I'm not doing this. I'm sorry, but I'm not doing this. And then finding the second iteration, the third iteration, that fourth iteration of okay, now we're getting there. Now we're in kind of alignment with what we really want to be doing. Now we're starting to get the balance. And it's a, it's a battle. And if you tie that to yourself as I'm a good human being or I'm a bad human being, right. it will destroy you. Right. It, one thing that I think is really important to bring up here for anybody that's trying to figure out, like, 
whatever your work situation is, whether you're working for a company or you're owning a business, when it's affecting your mental health on any kind of level, you're not in alignment with your values. And if you're not in alignment with your values, it's affecting your mental health, whether you realize it or not. So it, it will over time cause you to burn out. You know, you're continuously trying, like you said earlier, trying to chase, trying to prove yourself, trying to fill those holes. And, and that's all to the end that you think that once you get to this certain place, then you can relax and you'll be okay, right? Generations before us, just get to retirement and then you can enjoy your life. Then you can relax. And they all ended up with not feeling good, not actually having the energy to take advantage of their life. But the the what you said is so important about the iterations maybe that first try isn't going to work so if you're switching jobs maybe maybe that first next job isn't going to work maybe it's a little better and you can't when you're not attached to what it means about you you can say here say okay just like i was talking about with the marketing headline it's like there is that piece like, is this working? What is working? What do I want to recreate? What is not working? And let's go to the next iteration, whether it's another job or another form of the business or another particular thing you're trying or relationships even. But each step along the way, moving you closer to the type of life you want and allowing you to with each of those steps starting to feed the better stories like oh this this wasn't as bad as the last one so therefore i'm getting better at this oh yeah. i'm getting better i'm in in feeding those stories i'm closer to where i want to be and this is great this means i'm improving this means i'm becoming the person that i want to be instead of you know i'm a failure i'm a pos <laughs> all of those things yeah I, I think it's an interesting one isn't it of like we live in a world especially when it's driven by social media of comparison of am i doing as well as that person or if you're a business owner and you run something on through social media it's like this post did terribly it only got 300 views and i think well you have to put that into perspective of, yes, there's somebody out there right now getting millions of views. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be striving to optimize and maximize what we do. But let's just put that into context for a second. If you had flyers and you dropped off 300 flyers and everybody who looked at like everyone you delivered it to looked at it, you've got 300 eyeballs. You'd be pretty happy with that. Like you'd be like, everyone I sent that flyer to looked at it. And we've got this post, a social media post. It's got 300 views. Let's put those 300 people in one place. Like you're talking to a camera, giving them 60 seconds of value. 300 people bothered to show up to take a look at it. And if you filled a room with 300 people, you'd be like, I just spoke to 300 people. You'd be quite happy with that unless you're used to speaking to audiences of 15,000. But it's about really being able to start to put perspective on things. And instead of, and it's easier said than done, definitely. I can definitely testify to this, but it's, it's much more important to compare yourself against yourself than against right. people around you. And I think it's one of the things we see a lot with our clients, especially when we get a lot of referrals is, well, how is this person doing? Like, well, I heard this person's doing X. Shouldn't I be doing that too? And it's like, 
well, no, because you're trying to build a completely different business to them. So why would you want to do the same thing that they're doing? Uh, it's got to be unique to you. And it's sometimes you need to care more about your grass and like your walls than your neighbors, because until your grass is in order and you're happy with your grass, and you might be happy with nearly dead grass. Like, you might be happy with dirt. Let's just be honest. Like if you're happy with the dirt, but it doesn't matter that it's not green, paint it green. Uh, it, do you know what I mean? It's that thing of understanding what do you want? And I think that a lot of the a lot of the comparison and a lot of the self-judgment comes from a place of actually not being able to accurately be able to answer the question of what do I want? Yeah. And I think that there's a real lack of certainty around that. There's some vague answer of I want a successful business or I want I a want to be happy. Yeah, exactly. I want to be happy. I have to, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I, I just have to say this because everybody says, I just want to be happy. And I'm going to tell you that 99% of the people that say that, what they're really saying is I want to be out of pain. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I would probably agree with that. And I have spent a long time in that pursuit of happiness and trying to find that kind of place of oh, I, I will be happy when and like you say like when x happens and it wasn't until i really kind of did a bit of study and i started to break it down and understand that i was approaching it wrong and for me happiness is the outcome from having three other things in line so you have health and i think health personal health is massively neglected and this is like physical health, mental health, and really making sure that you start your day. So I have a kind of like my own daily process that I prioritize health first of all. And you don't have to go to the gym first thing in the morning. You can do a million different things. For me, this is what works. I wake up and I go to the gym and I get a workout in and I make sure that I learn something new. So I get a chance to detox away from social media because I work on social media. So watch something valuable, listen to something valuable, read something valuable, one or the other. and at that point, I get my day started, plan my day out, make sure I'm feeling good, make sure like some days it will be I'll do some priming. Other days I'll take a cold shower. Some days I'll just work out and I'll feel fine. But it's about checking in with myself and saying like, how are you today? Like, are you feeling good and ready to go? And then knowing that you're ready to start your day. So that's then your health taken care of from like that macro perspective. Then it's about looking at wealth. And I think Sometimes, and I've gone in either direction at points, like we have to accept you need money. Like you have to have money to really be able to live. There's no way around this. Like, so we can dress it up however we want. We don't all need to be billionaires, but none of us really want to be completely broke that we have nothing. We're constantly worried about money. We need to have a vehicle that produces enough wealth to be able to, at the very least, live day to day happily and comfortably like for from a perspective of we're taking care of so now we've taken care of health and wealth the next one is relationships and that's when you make sure that in your day and the actual percentages of your day that you spend doing each one of these things will fluctuate but balance is not like carving this up equally every single day some days it's going to be more skewed in one direction a weekend is a prime example you might decide that i don't look at wealth particularly on the weekend so only five or ten percent of your energy is dedicated to that but for relationships 80 percent of it goes to to that side of things this is where you have that connection with 
potentially a partner, maybe your children, if nothing else, your friends, but also having a relationship with yourself and being comfortable on your own and in your own skin instead of always needing to be distracted. Right. And once you have health, wealth and relationships, those three things together, that equals happiness or I tend to think of it more a bit like joy. And that's that feeling of the only way I've ever been able to describe that feeling is it's almost like a feeling of inner calm, like you're in the eye of a hurricane and everything around you is complete craziness, but you in your life and in yourself, you're at peace and you're like, I feel good. Like I could stay in this spot forever. And it's inevitable that there's gonna be points when the rest of that storm is gonna blow through and then you're gonna to get to another eye of the storm. And I think it's a, unrealistic goal to get to that place once and stay there forever maybe that's a limiting belief i don't know but i believe that life is about ebbs and flows and it's about understanding that if you have those core tenants in place and you stick to those processes whether it's a good day or a bad day then you will always come back to that place of having inner peace and being at peace with yourself and that to me is how i've got to the place of joy and abundance and like you go through seasons in life but that's that's how i can kind of quantify it of, of how i would go out and attack it and that's how i have attacked it yeah that's beautiful so how do how, well real quick i think my place of happiness is the feeling of expansion inside mm -hmm. of me so that place of peace that inner peace, so to speak, where I feel like the calm eye of the storm. For me, it just feels open and expansive. It's like there's nothing coming down or like contracting in on me. And so I always use, I always tell like my clients, like when they're struggling with a decision, what should I do? What should I do? I don't know. Well, what is the thing that's going to make you feel open and expansive in a week? Like not right now. Sometimes we got to like push through some stuff that's a little hard when we make a decision, but what's going to make you feel proud of yourself and have that open, expansive feeling next week. And those, I've always used that as a good decision guide mechanism. So Alan, how is it that people find you? How is it that they work with you? What did they have? I'm going to ask you one more question at the end of this. Maybe I'll ask you two. Okay. And, um, and yeah, how do people get in touch with you? How do they work with you? Yeah, best thing to do if you head to the website, alamiles.com. Um, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Feel free to follow me. We're always pumping out free value there. The website has links to um, everything. Just make sure you spell my name correctly. So it's A-L-L-A-N and then miles, like the distance, .com. So it's pretty straightforward. On there, you'll see examples of the people we've worked with, how we help them with their business. And then you can book in a free call. Unlike most free calls out there, I do just like to caveat this. It isn't a guise of a sales call. It's genuine. It's called a value call because it's focused on value and really making sure that we can understand what you do, what you're struggling with, and then make sure we provide you with some solutions to go and implement them. It's only at that point, once we can see you're somebody who is in alignment with what we do and how we do it, and, I, and we can see that you actually do take action on things that we would even look at potentially doing something from a working perspective. We really prioritize that value 
And for me, it's about give, 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 give until I'm asked. We don't try and swing around to a sales call as quickly as possible. That's just not how we do things. So if you're struggling with your business right now, or you're considering launching a business, take a look at the website. If it sounds like something that may be of interest to you, let's arrange time to have a chat. And Let's see what happens from there. Awesome. And for those of you that are struggling in your career, perhaps you've got too many of those stories going on in your head and it's making you not feel so great and you need to step into new perfect for you opportunities instead of these ones that aren't working out. I have a free guide out there for you called Five Secrets to Become a Magnet for Lucrative, Perfect for You Career Opportunities. And you can find that at elevatefreegift.com. So go ahead, open up your browser, unless you're driving. <laughs> open up your browser, type in elevatefreegift.com. You can sign up and get that. And so I do have two questions for you, Alan. First, why do you do what you do? Why do you work with business owners to help them? So for me, it's simply a case of it's it's just the thing I love to do. And I think it's something that you see when somebody has a real passion for something. And like for a lot of people, the thought of sitting there and like looking at lots of data inside of a business and pulling it apart and putting it back into a new sequence would bore them to death. For me, that's my playground. It's the thing that I love to do. And the reason I like to work with smaller businesses as opposed to large corporations and companies is that you can make an impact into someone's life. Helping a small business to really grow by 10 or 20% can be life-changing. Helping somebody to launch a business can be life-changing. Whereas adding half a million to, or even 10 million to a large company it's just some more money that will be paid out in a dividend and they don't really care. So for me, it's really about just zoning in on the place that I just love to be. Wonderful. And so, you know, that place where you were working your butt off and you were doing well financially, but you were in that place, I think so many people can relate to where it's like the money has to be the driver. I have to like, that's going to be the thing that's going to drive my business, drive my decisions, drive what I do for a living. When you look back at the man you were at that point in time, when you were still in that headspace, what advice would you give him? So it's a good question. I think the advice that I would give to old Alan would be, take the leap, but take a leap and ha have belief in yourself, but in a way that provides you a runway. So you don't have to always make changes in a radical way that is heroic and looks like something from a Hollywood film. Like actually the pragmatic understanding of, look, you have financial obligations and responsibilities. And yes, there are lots of people who have rags to riches stories. But that's when we get to look at that story from the big macro perspective of, wow, they made it. That's amazing. The actual moments in there that would have been such high pressure that probably broke 99 people out of the 100 and they were just that one that made it through. Instead, I believe that I would the advice I would give to myself would be 
create a plan that's not idealistic, it's realistic, and allow yourself to explore new opportunities. Understand that money isn't everything. Sometimes you have to give something to get something, but always make sure that those core fundamentals are taken care of because that's the thing that if things start to go wrong, like you will immediately just default back to old beliefs and old behavior and go, see, I knew it. That's the validation I needed to show that I should have just stayed with what I was doing. But the reality is you just didn't plan very well. It's like going out for a walk without a coat and then it starts to rain and you go, well, see, I knew it was going to rain. And why didn't you wear a coat? Like make some better preparations. If you have a solid plan, you can achieve anything that you want to. And I think that's the advice that I would really give to myself. I'm somebody who learns through through feedback. So if I was going to fall off a cliff, I'm going to hit every single rock on the way down and I'm going to feel every single bump. So if I can help anyone with anything, it's a case of make sure you create a long enough runway so that that jumbo jet has plenty of space to take off and you can create the life that you want. Start by just dipping your toe in the water and then build on that consistently. It's going to yeah. be effort, but it, that's how I would, would do it. And that's what the advice I would give to myself. Yeah, one of the things I hear in that is take a deep breath, take one small step at a time and you'll get there. Yeah, I think um, just to add to that, actually, the um, I love to look at people who have been successful. So people like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, like business owners, those types of things. And you can start to tie together like a list of, of traits and qualities one of the things that they all do really well is understanding to take one step at a time but i think it, it goes deeper than that it's about being able to be present in the moment of mm -hmm. we're in a high pressure moment right now so one step at a time is not just doing one tiny thing it's actually a monumental moment but I'm not going to allow any of the exterior noise impact what I have to do right now. It's about being able to just be present and go, I have to show up as my best self. And this might be the biggest moment in my life right now, but I'm not going to let the fact that I had an argument with somebody in the car park or that I didn't sleep very well last night or whatever the reason or excuse might be, I'm not going to let any of that bother me. I'm just going to zone in on that moment. And that's what you see over and over again yeah. with super high achievers. And it's, it's, I think the, like the normal person's way to have those, like those highlight real moments and really make sure they move towards their full potential. Yeah. And a piece of that really is what you were talking about, right? That being able to be the eye of the storm yeah. in that place that, you know, there might be all this chaos going on, but you can still hold that peace within yourself so that you can take the next best step instead of spiraling into those stories that people tell about themselves about how they're maybe not the greatest yeah. but you all are the greatest you all have the potential to make it happen so thank you alan for sharing your story your wisdom i really appreciate you and yeah that's the thing and remember everybody that when you feel good about who you are and what you do you help to elevate and evolve humanity so I will see you all next time on Be The Wolf. Thank you again, Alan, for being here. Thank you. See you later. Yeah, bye. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.